Welcome to Stories from Among the Stars. You're listening to A Psalm for the Wild Built by Becky Chambers. Chapter 2 The Best Tea Monk in Panga After two years, traveling the quiet highways between Panga's villages was no longer a matter of mental mapping, but of sensory input. Here in the woods of the Inkthorn Pass, Dex knew they were close to the highway's namesake, not because of the signs that said so, but because of the smell. Sulfur and minerals bound together in a slight thickening of humidity. Milky green hot springs came into view a few minutes later, as expected, as well as the smooth white dome of the energy plant standing alongside exhaling steam through its chimneys. There had been nothing like this in the shrublands, where Dex had woken up that morning. There you'd find solar farms built in untended fields, which smelled of sun-warmed scrub and wildflowers. In a week's time, there'd be yet another transition, as Dex's route took them back out of the Timberfall and down to the Buckland coast, where the salty air kept wind blades spinning. But for now, Dex would keep company with the scent of the forest. The sulfur of the springs was quickly subsumed by fresh evergreen as Dex pedaled onward. And before long, ground-level buildings like the geothermal plant were few and far between. A forest floor, the woodland villagers knew, is a living thing. Vast civilizations lay within the mosaic of dirt. Hymenopteran labyrinths Rodential panic rooms, life-giving airways sculpted by the traffic of worms, hopeful spiders hunting cabins, crash pads for nomadic beetles, trees shyly locking toes with one another. It was here that you'd find the resourcefulness of rot, the wholeness of fungi. Disturbing these lives through digging was a violence, though sometimes a needed one, as demonstrated by the birds and white skunks who brashly kicked the hummus away in necessary pursuit of a full belly. Still, the human residents of this place were judicious about what constituted actual necessity and as such disturbed the ground as little as possible. Careful trails were cut, of course, and some objects, cisterns, power junctions, trade vehicles, and so on, had no option but to live full-bodied on the ground. But if you wanted to see the entirety of a woodland settlement, the direction to look was up. Dex couldn't help gazing at the homes suspended from the trunks above the trail, even though they'd seen them many a time. Inkthorn was an especially attractive village, home to some of the most skilled carpenters in the region, The hanging homes here looked akin to shells, cut open to reveal soft geometry. Everything there curved, the rain-shielding roofs, the light-giving windows, the bridges running between like jewelry. The wood was all gathered from unsuitable structures no longer in use or harvested from trees that had needed nothing more than mud and gravity to bring them down. There was nothing splintered or rough about the lumber, though. 
Inkthorn's craftspeople had polished the grain so smooth that from a distance, it looked almost like clay. The village's practical features were ubiquitous. Powered pulleys to bring heavier goods up and down. Emergency ladders ready to drop at a moment's notice. Bulbous biogas digesters attached outside kitchen walls. But every home had a unique character, a little whim of the builders. This one had a deck that danced around the house in a spiral. That one had a bubbled skylight. The other had a tree growing through it rather than beside. The homes were like trees themselves in that regard. Unmistakably part of a specific visual category, yet each an individual unto itself. Wagons like Dex's stood no chance on a hanging bridge, so Dex pedaled their way to one of the rare cleared areas, the market circle. Sun cascaded through the hole cut in the canopy, creating a bountiful column of light that played pleasingly with the butter-colored paving inlaid with vibrant stones. Dex hadn't minded the forest chill, but the sudden bloom of warmth felt like the squeeze of a soothing hand against their bare limbs. Alalea was very present there. Other wagons had already set up shop. A glass vendor from the coast, a tech swapper, someone hawking oils for cooking and vanity and wood. The traders nodded as Dex pedaled in. Dex didn't know any of them, but nodded back all the same. It was a particular nod, the one traders gave each other, even though Dex wasn't a trader, technically. Their wagon made that fact clear as day. Dex gave a different sort of nod to the small crowd that was already waiting at the circle's periphery, a nod that said, Hey, I see you. I'll be ready soon. The first time Dex had encountered waiting people, it had felt stressful. But Dex had quickly learned to not let it trouble them. They entered a space in their mind in which there was an invisible wall between them and their assembly, behind which Dex could work undisturbed. The thing the people wanted took time to prepare. If they wanted it, they could wait. Dex pulled into an unclaimed spot in the circle, kicked down the ox bike brakes, and locked the wagon wheels. Unruly hair tumbled into their eyes as they released it from their helmet, hiding the market from view. There was no hope for hair that had been locked in a helmet since dawn, so they tied a head wrap around their scalp and postponed the mess for later. They ducked into the wagon, peeled off their damp shirt, and tossed it into the laundry bag that contained nothing but garments of red and brown. They dusted themselves liberally with deodorant powder, fetched a dry shirt from the shrinking stack, and retied the head wrap in respectable symmetry. It would do. The production began. Dex went back and forth between the public space outside and the home within, varying all that was needed. Boxes were carried, jars arranged, bags unpacked, kettle deployed, cooler of creamers at the ready. These were placed on or around the folding table, each in their usual spot. Dex filled the kettle from the wagon's water tank, leaving it to boil as they artfully placed carved stones, preserved flowers, and curls of festive ribbon around the table's empty spaces. 
A shrine had to look like a shrine, even if it was transitory. One of the villagers from the waiting crowd walked up to Dex. Do you need help? She asked. Dex shook their head. No, thanks. I've got kind of a... They looked at the jar of flowers in one hand and the battery pack in the other, trying to remember what it was they'd been doing. The villager put up her palms. You've got a flow, totally. She smiled and backed off. Rhythm regained, Dex unfolded a huge red mat and laid it on the paving. A bundle of collapsible poles was unpacked next. And from these, Dex made a rectangular frame on which hung the garden lights that had been charging on the outside of the wagon all day. Comfy cushions came next, arranged on the mat in inviting heaps. In the middle of this, Dex placed another table, a good deal smaller and quite low to the ground. This, too, was decorated cheerfully. They then opened a small wooden box and removed six objects, one by one, unrolling them from the pieces of protective cloth that shielded against the bounce of the road. Dex could easily print replacements if these got damaged. Most towns had a fab shack. That wasn't the point. No object should be treated as disposable. Idols, least of all. The icons of the parent gods were the first to take their place on the small table, set upon a wooden stand cut for this very purpose. A perfect sphere represented Bosch, god of the cycle, who oversaw all things that lived and died. Grylam, god of the inanimate, was symbolized by a trilateral pyramid, an abstract nod to their realm of rock, water, and atmosphere. Between them was placed the thin, vertical bar of Trichili, god of the threads, chemistry, physics, the framework that lay unseen. Below their parents, directly on the table, Dex arranged the child gods, a sunjay for Samophar, a sugar bee for Chal, and of course, the summer bear. At last, Dex sat in their chair behind the larger table, they pulled their pocket computer from their baggy travel trousers and flicked the screen awake. It was a good computer given to them on their 16th birthday, a customary coming-of-age gift. It had a cream-colored frame and a pleasingly crisp screen, and Dex had only needed to repair it five times in the years that it had traveled in their clothes. A reliable device built to last a lifetime, as all computers were. Dex tapped the icon shaped like a handshake, and the computer beeped cheerily, letting them know the message had been sent. That was Dex's cue to sit back and wait. Every person in Inkthorn who had previously told their own pocket computers they wanted to know when a new wagons arrived now knew exactly that. In comic synchrony, everybody in the crowd pulled out their computers within seconds of Dex's tap silencing the chorus of alerts. Dex laughed, and the crowd laughed, and Dex waved them over. Ms. Jules was the first to arrive, as always. Dex smiled to themselves as she approached. Of all the Sacred Six's constants, Dex could think a few more predictable than of Miss Jules being stressed out. Oh, I'm so glad you're here today, 
Miss Jules said with a weary huff. Inkthorn's water engineer looked back at the village with deep annoyance. One thumb hooked in the belt loop of her grubby overalls, flyaway curls of gray hair bobbing as she shook her head. Six reports of muckmite nests. Six. Ugh, Dex said. Muckmites loved drains and were notoriously difficult to discourage once they took up residence. I thought you had that sorted last season with the, what was it? Formic acid, Miss Jules said. Yeah, didn't work this year. I don't know if my crew didn't apply it right or if the little bastards have become resistant or what. All I know is I've got a to-do list as long as both my legs put together. Mr. Tucker's gray line keeps gumming up for reasons I can't fathom, and my dog. She glowered murderously. My dog ate three pairs of my socks yesterday. Didn't chew holes, didn't rip them up. Ate them. I had to get the vet from Elwood to come make sure she wasn't gonna die. Which I did not have time for. Dex smirked. Didn't have time to see the vet, or didn't have time for your dog maybe dying? (laughs) Both. Dex nodded, assessing the situation and the tools they had at hand. They picked up a wide mug and one of the many jars. The latter was filled with a melange of hand-mixed leaves and dried petals, and bore a hand-labeled sticker reading, Blend Number 14. Dex opened the lid and held the jar out for Ms. Jules to smell. What do you think of that? Ms. Jules leaned in and inhaled. Oh, that's nice, she said. Beeweed? Dex shook their head as they scooped some of the mix into a metal infuser. Close. Lion grass, they said. They winked. It's very calming. Ms. Jules snorted. Who said I need calming? she said. Dex chuckled as they filled the mug from the kettle. A puff of fragrant steam joined the forest air. I remember you liking both honey and goat's milk, right? Wow, Uh, yeah, Ms. Jules blinked. You're good. Dex spooned in a generous dollop and a creamy splash, then handed Ms. Jules her cup of tea. Give it four minutes to steep, they said and all the time you want to drink it. Let me know if you'd like another. I don't have time for two, Ms. Jules said grimly. Sibling Dex smiled. Everyone's got time for two. Anybody who sees you here will understand. And they would, Dex knew. It was hard to find a pangan who hadn't, at least once, spent a very necessary hour or two in the company of a tea monk. Ms. Jewel's curls retained their frizz, but as she took the mug, something in her face started to let go, as if her features were held in place by strings that had been waiting months to loosen. Thank you, she said sincerely, taking out her pocket computer with her free hand. She tapped the screen. Dex's chimed in response, and they nodded in gratitude. Respite from muckmites and sock-chomping dog granted. Ms. Jules took her tea to the comfy cushions. And, in what looked like it might be the first time that day, sat down. She closed her eyes and let out a tremendous sigh. 
her shoulders visibly slumped. She'd always had the ability to relax them. She'd just needed permission to do so. Praise Alalea. Dex swallowed a wistful sigh as they saw their next visitor approaching. Mr. Cody was a good-looking man with arms that split logs and a smile that could make a person forget all concept of linear time. But the two babies strapped to his torso, one squealing on the front and one dead asleep on the back, made Dex keep any thoughts about the rest of Mr. Cody's anatomy completely to themselves. From the circles under Mr. Cody's eyes, it looked as though sex was the last thing on his mind. Hey, sibling Dex, he said. Dex already had a jar of fever fig in hand and was reaching for the boar root. Hey, Mr. Cody, they said. So, uh, Mr. Cody was distracted by the front-facing infant gnawing wetly on the carrier strap. Come on, don't do that, he said in a voice that had no illusions of his request being respected. He sighed and turned his attention to Dex. So the thing is, mm-hmm, Dex said, grinding a complex mix of herbs. Mr. Cody opened his mouth, closed it, opened it again. I have twins, he said. He added nothing further. The one on his chest unleashed a happy shriek at the top of their lungs, as if to underline the point. Mm-hmm, Dex replied. You sure do. They poured the ground herbs into a storage bag, tied it up with a ribbon, and pushed it across the table decisively. Mr. Cody blinked. Do I not get a cup of tea? You get eight cups of tea, Dex said, nodding at the bag. Because you sure as shit need them. They scrunched their nose at the baby, and the baby smiled loudly. Dex continued to address said baby's hot dad. This is a nice fever fig brew. It'll relax your muscles and help you fall into a deep sleep. Two tablespoons in a mug of boiling water, steep for seven minutes. Take the strainer out when it's ready to go, or else it's going to taste like feet. Mr. Cody picked up the bag and sniffed it. Doesn't smell like feet. It smells like, uh, he sniffed again. Oranges. Dex smiled. There's a dash of zest in there. You've got a good nose. And a good face, they thought. A really, really good face. Mr. Cody smiled, even as the first child's exultations awoke the second and kicked off a duet. That sounds nice, he said. Relief began to melt the lines around his eyes. I would love some sleep. It, it, it won't knock me out, right? Like, I'll wake up. If, if your kiddos need something, you'll wake up fast as always. Fever fig is a gentle cuddle, not a brick to the head. Mr. Cody laughed. Okay, great. He tucked the bag into his pocket with a smile and transferred Pebs to Dex. Thanks, that's very nice of you. Dex smiled back. Thank Alalea, they said. And me, that's cool. You can thank me too. <laughs> They sighed again at the sublime sight of Mr. Cody walking away. Over on the mat, the timer on Ms. Jewel's pocket computer chimed. 
Dex watched out of the corner of their eye as she took a careful sip. Ms. Jules licked her lips. God's around, that's good, she muttered to herself. Dex beamed. And so they worked through the line, filling mugs and listening carefully and blending herbs on the fly when the situation called for it. The mat was soon full of people. Pleasant chatter naturally drifted along here and there, but most folks kept to themselves. Some read books on their computers, some slept, a few cried, which was normal. Their fellow tea drinkers offered shoulders for this. Dex provided handkerchiefs and refills as needed. Mix Weaver, one of Inkthorn's council members, was the last to arrive that day. No tea for me, thanks, they said as they approached the table. I come bearing an invite to dinner at the common house tonight. The hunting crew brought in a great big buck this morning, and we've got plenty of wine to go around. I'd love to, Dex said. Gifted meals were one of the nicer perks of their work, and an elk roast was nothing they'd pass on, ever. What's the occasion? You, Mixweaver said simply. Dex blinked with surprise. You're joking. No, seriously. We knew from your schedule that you'd be doing service here today, and we wanted to do something special to say thanks for... Mix Weaver gestured at the contented group lounging on Dex's cushions. You know, what you bring to this town. Dex was flattered, to say the least, and unsure of what to do with a compliment like that. It's just my vocation, Dex said but that means a lot, really. Thank you, I'll be there. Mix Weaver shrugged and smiled. Least we can do for the best tea monk in Panga. The road from the woodlands led to the road to the coastlands, which led to the riverlands, which led to the shrublands, and back to the woodlands once more. Dex made their circuit again and again and again, and every stop they made, They found gratitude, gifts, goodwill. The crowds got bigger, the dinners more frequent. The blends Dex served became a little more creative every time. As far as the life of a tea monk went, this was about as successful as could be. And yet, at some undefined point, Dex started waking each morning feeling like they hadn't slept. This was the case one particular morning when they woke up and Snowy's passed. They knew they had slept. There was a deep absence of memory stretching unbroken from when they'd been listening to the frogs in the dark trees outside to now. As they squinted at their pocket computer and noted that a clean seven and a half hours had passed since the last time they'd looked at it. There was no good reason for waking up tired but there had been no reason for it any of the other mornings either. Maybe they needed to eat better. Maybe there was some vitamin or good sugar or something they weren't getting enough of. That was probably it, they thought, even though a recent clinic checkup had cleared them on these fronts. Or perhaps, they thought, it was the frogs. The frogs were fine. They were darling up close, pudgy green jumpers that looked like nothing so much as gummy candy. Their song began every evening around sundown and faded away before dawn. 
The sound was pleasant, in a funny, croaky way. But frogs weren't crickets. The lack of stridulated melody in the night air hadn't bothered Dex when they'd first left the city. They'd noticed it, of course, but honing their craft had consumed them, and they knew crickets to be absent in the satellite villages. It hadn't bothered them in the coastlands either, where they assumed crickets weren't endemic. But once they reached the riverlands, the question began to sharpen. Do you have crickets here? Dex had asked with affected nonchalance around dinner tables, in public saunas, in shrines and tool swaps and bakeries. It wasn't until after Dex's first full circuit of the villages, when word of their services began to spread, when their calendar had been carefully blocked out with a schedule that tried to make as many people as happy as possible, when Dex returned to a village to find a group of four people already awaiting their arrival. That Dex stopped asking about crickets and finally just looked the damn thing up. Crickets, as it turned out, were extinct in most of Panga. While numerous species across all phyla had bounced back after the transition, many others had been left in a state too fragile to recover. Not all wounds were capable of healing. But so what, right? Dex was the best tea monk in Panga, if the chatter was to be believed. They didn't believe such hyperbole themselves, and it's not like anything about their work was a competition. But their tea was good. They knew this. They'd worked hard. They put their heart into it. Everywhere they went, they saw smiles, and Dex knew that it was their work, their work that brought those out. They brought people joy. They made people's day. That was a tremendous thing. When you sat and thought about it, that should have been enough. That should have been more than enough. And yet, if they were completely honest, the thing they had come to look forward to most was not the smiles, nor the gifts, nor the sense of work done well, but the part that came after all of that the part when they returned to their wagon, shut themselves inside, and spent a few precious, shapeless hours entirely alone. Why wasn't it enough? Dex climbed down the ladder from their bunk, and the sight of the lower deck made them feel drained. It wasn't the wagon itself, but the contents. Herbs, herbs. Herbs, tea, 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 handmade things lovingly gathered in an effort to make people feel good. Dex shut their eyes to it and walked out the door. Outside, the world was enjoying a perfect day. Light streamed golden through the branches overhead, and the tips of budding branches waved good morning in the shy breeze. A stream chattered nearby. A butterfly the size of Dex's hand alighted on a thistle and spread its purple wings wide and flat, savoring the sunshine. Everything about Dex's surroundings, from the temperature to the floral backdrop, was the ideal accompaniment to the smooth downhill bike ride that awaited them. Dex sighed, and the sound was empty. They unfolded their chair with a practiced shake and dropped down into it. 
They pulled out their pocket computer, as was their habit first thing, dimly aware of the hope that always spurred them to do so. That there might be something good there, something exciting or nourishing, something that would replace the weariness. Everything on the little screen should have fit the bill. There was a schedule of their own making, built for sharing the things they'd worked so hard on with eager participants. There were thank-you notes from villagers who had felt moved enough to take time out of their days to share a piece of themselves with sibling Dex. There was a lengthy, heartfelt letter from their father who told Dex all the things they'd missed at home and, most importantly, that they were loved. Dex swiped every one of these aside, a sliver of guilt rising up as they did so. They set that sliver precariously atop the heap of all the other slivers from the days before. They placed their forehead in their palm. In seven hours, they were supposed to be in hammer strike, a smile on their face, a mug of comfort extended. They believed in that work. They truly did. They believed the things they said, the sacred words they quoted. They believed they were doing good. Why wasn't it enough? What is it? They asked without speaking. The gods did not communicate in this way and would not, could not, answer. But the instinct to call out was there. And Dex indulged it. What's wrong with me? They asked. Dex listened, though they knew they would hear nothing. Nothing in relation to their question, anyhow. There were many things to hear. Birds, bugs, trees, wind, water. But no crickets. Dex picked their pocket computer back up and began a reference search. Cricket recordings, they wrote. Not for the first time. A list of public files popped up. Dex played the first of them, and the reedy pulse of a cricket-filled forest was conjured through their speakers. An immortal snapshot of an ecosystem long gone. These were pre-transition recordings, taken by people who thought, with good cause, that the sounds of the world they knew might disappear forever. The recording jutted discordantly into the sounds of the living meadow around them. It was out of place, out of time. Dex stopped the playback, looking idly at the archival information on each recording. Yellow Cricket, Fall 64, PT, 1134, Salt Rock. Cellar Cricket, Summer 6, PT, 1135, Helmet's Luck. Cloud Cricket, Spring 33, PT, 1135, Hart's Brow Hermitage. Chesterbridge. The last of these caught Dex's eye. Chesterbridge was the anachronistic name for a part of the Northern Wilds, if they remembered correctly. Hartsbrow, however, that name was still in use. It was one of the antlers, a mountain range well beyond the borderlands, deep in the vast wilderness that humans had given back to Panga. Dex was aware of Hartsbrow, in that dim sort of way where they could confirm that a thing existed but say nothing else of it. The mention of a hermitage, however, that was new to them. Dex tapped the link. The Hartsbrow Hermitage was a remote monastery located near the summit of one of the lower mountains in the Antlers, 
Built in PT 1108, the Hermitage was intended as a sanctuary for both clergy and pilgrims who desired respite from urban life. It was abandoned at the end of the Factory Age, and the site now lies within the protected wilderness zone established during the transitional era. Dex went back to the previous page, then clicked the link for cloud crickets. Cloud crickets are a species of insect. Unlike other species of crickets, which were once widespread across Panga, the cloud cricket was found only in the evergreen forests of the antlers. Cloud crickets were believed to be a threatened species during the end of the factory age. As the antlers now fall within a protected wilderness zone, the current status of the cloud cricket is unknown. Dex chewed on that. I wonder if they're still there, came the first thought. I could go there and find out, went the second. It was a stupid idea, easy to brush away, like the countless other moments in the day when a brain spins nonsense. But the thought came back as Dex cooked breakfast, and again as they got dressed, and again as they packed up camp. Here is why you can't go, they retorted irritably to themselves. They opened their map guide on their computer, entered here in one field, and Hart's Brow Mountain in the other, and submitted the data. The map guide came back with a notification Dex had never seen before. Warning. The route you have entered goes outside of human settlement areas and into protected wilderness. Travel along pre-transition roads is strongly discouraged by both the Pangan Transit Cooperative and the Wild Guard. Roads in these regions have not been maintained, Both road and environmental conditions are likely to be dangerous. Wildlife is unpredictable and unaccustomed to humans. This route is not recommended. Dex nodded in an I-told-you-so way, got on their ox bike, and began the ride toward Hammerstrike, as scheduled. But as they pedaled, the idea continued to bounce around them like a gnat just as the idea of leaving the city had once done. And as they pedaled farther along, everything about the day ahead of them felt like a chore. They knew what the scene would be in Hammerstrike. They knew what the ride the day after that would look like. And the day after that. And the day after that. And the day after... They stopped the wagon. I bet it's quiet out there, they thought. No, They replied and continued on. They stopped the wagon again 20 minutes later. I bet you could travel that road for days and never see another person, they thought. The wagon's got all you need. No, they replied and continued on. An hour later, they stopped one more time. They stood there on the road staring at the paving, feeling that the sun had grown unnaturally bright The idea danced and danced, their perception of the sunlight grew brighter still, and Dex would have sworn they were drunk or high or feverish, but on the contrary, what came next felt clear-headed as could be. They pulled out their pocket computer. They sent a message to Hammerstrike, letting the people there know that they were very sorry, but they would have to postpone their stop. Personal matters, they said. Return date to be determined. This action should have made Dex feel guilty, as ignoring that morning's messages had done. It didn't. It felt great. 
Dex sent a message to their dad, too, saying that they were very glad to receive his letter, but they were really busy that day, and everything was fine, but they'd get back to him later. That made them feel a little guilty, but not as much as it should have. With effort, they turned the wagon around and headed for a road they'd never seen before. What are you doing? They thought, what the hell are you doing? I don't know, they replied with a nervous grin. I have no idea. The forest changed. Down in the villages, the towering trees had an accessible feel, allowing plenty of room for sunlight to reach the flowering bushes below. This old road, on the other hand, headed into the Keskin Forest, a place left to pursue its own instincts, uninterrupted. Here, the trees were taller than any building you'd find outside the city, their branches locked like pious fingers against the distant sky. Only the slightest threads of sun broke through, illuminating waxy needles in eerie glow. Moss hung down like tapestries, fungus crept in alien curves, birds called but could not be seen. The road itself was a relic paved in black asphalt. An oil road, made for oil motors and oil tires and oil fabric and oil frames. The hardened tar was broken now into tectonic plates, displaced by the unrelenting creep of the roots below. Both Oxbike and Wagon struggled with this unkind surface, and more than once, Dex had to hop off the saddle to walk their vehicle around a pothole or clear debris from the road. They noted, as they dragged a branch out of their way, how dense the growth was beyond the edge of the dying asphalt. How intimidatingly tangled. Dex thought of the news stories that popped up every couple years about some hiker who ventured off trail in the borderlands and was never heard of again. The wilderness was not known for letting the foolish return. Dex stuck to the road, they pedaled and pushed and dragged and walked and climbed, climbed, climbed. Alalea holds, Alalea warms, they panted. Alalea soothes and Alalea charms, Alalea holds, Alalea warms. They rounded a steep corner. Alalea soothes and Alalea, ah, shit. They squeezed the brakes hard, jerking the handlebars to the side. Wagon and bike came to a skidding halt, accompanied by the sound of dozens of items rattling inside, hopefully unbroken. There wasn't a branch across the road, but a tree. It was a small tree, but still, a whole-ass tree. Its dirty roots exposed in the air like an underworld bouquet. Dex slid off the saddle once more, straddling the frame of their bike, and thought not for the first time, that maybe this was stupid. An hour back the way they came, and they'd be on the return trip to Hammerstrike. There were hot springs they could soak in there, and a good cookhouse that probably had a rack of something wild over the fire. Dex imagined lights twinkling in the dark, guiding them back to a place made specifically for humans. Dex kicked down the wagon's brakes. They shoved, they swore, they rolled the damn tree out of the way and continued their ride. By this point, Dex was wrecked. The air was getting crisp, the light getting low. Nothing about this combination was conducive to travel. 
but they had to find a decent place to stop. Good as Sister Fern's brakes were, parking the wagon on a slope overnight wasn't safe. So Dex climbed. Just as they were wondering if it were possible for a person's lungs to actually explode, they crested one last hump. This revealed a gentle downhill wind, which Dex coasted along with merciful ease. As the slope flatted out, it curved left. And what lay off the road there gave Dex a giddy rush, adrenaline sure but triumph too. To some, the spot may have seemed to be nothing more than a clearing. But Dex saw it for what it truly was. A perfect campsite. The clearing was level and spacious yet snug, wreathed with trees as though the forest were cupping its hands around it. There was no pavement there, only the brown and green of good, growing things. Dex parked both bike and wagon, then collapsed happily onto the ground. A cloud of fireflies puffed up from the moss into the air, flickering flirtatiously. The mattress of tiny leaves below Dex was soft and cool, a welcome balm for sweating skin. Ah, they said to the forest. The forest replied with rustling needles, creaking limbs, and nothing at all. Nobody in the world knows where I am right now, they thought. And the notion of that filled them with bubbling excitement. They had canceled their life, bailed out on a whim. The person they knew themselves to be should have been rattled by that, but someone else was at the helm now, someone rebellious and reckless. Someone who had picked a direction and gone for it, as if it were of no more import than choosing a sandwich. Dex didn't know who they were in that moment. Perhaps that was why they were smiling. The fireflies were bright against the pinking sky, and Dex took that as a cue to set up camp. A few geometric unfoldings later, Dex had conjured both kitchen and shower. Food and a good scrub were imminent and a chair waited beside the clean fire drum for when all else was complete. Dex put their hands on their hips and surveyed the scene. They nodded, not a traitor nod, or a service nod. A pleased nod, a satisfied nod, the kind of nod that nodded best when it had no audience. They hooked up the fire drum to the biogas tank strapped to the bottom of the wagon, and switched the burner on. A soft whoomp preceded the friendly licks of flame, enticing Dex to lean in. It wasn't too cold out, but their exhausted muscles craved heat, and Dex couldn't help indulging. After a minute or so, they took out their pocket computer in search of music. To their surprise, they still had satellite signal and were able to access the nighttime playlists curated by woodland streamcasters. Revamped folk classics flowed forth from the speakers affixed to the kitchen, and Dex's smile grew. Yeah, this was good. They popped along as they fetched the makings of dinner from inside the wagon, carrying an armload of vegetables back to the stove. There's a boy way out in Buckland, they sang as they began to chop a spicy onion. And I think he knows my name. Dex was a good singer, but this particular talent was not something they were in the habit of sharing. More verses followed, 
and more vegetables, too. Spring potatoes, frilly cabbage, a hearty scoop of blue beans to get some protein in there. They swept the colorful medley into a pot, added a generous hunk of butter, tossed in a dash of this and a splash of that, and set the whole jumble on the stove to simmer. Nine minutes, Dex knew. Enough to get the veggies soft and the skins crispy. Plenty of opportunity for a shower in the meantime. Dex stripped down, tossing their sweat-soaked clothes into the wagon. They hooked up the gray water pan, positioned it beneath the shower head that swung out from the wagon's exterior and got to scrubbing. It was a camp shower and therefore nothing to write home about. But even though it lacked the oomph of a proper wash, banishing human salt and trail dust from their skin felt luxurious. Oh, I'll be on my way, they sang, as they filled their hair with a thick lather of sweet mint soap. They opened their eyes once the suds were rinsed safely down. Through the mist of the showerhead, they could see a squirrel watching them curiously from a nearby rock. The sky above was shifting from pink to orange, and even though the early waking stars had begun to complement the fireflies, the air was not cold enough to make Stex rush. They smiled. Gods, but it was good to be outside. They shut off the water and reached for their towel on its usual hook, but their hand met with nothing. They'd remembered to set out their sandals, but the all-important towel had been forgotten inside the wagon. Ugh. Damn it, Dex said lightly. They shook themselves off like an otter as the cloudy remains of their shower glugged back into the filtration system. Sandals strapped to wet feet, Dex passed dripping by the kitchen, where the crisping onion and melting butter mingled deliciously. I got whiskey in my pocket, the band on the streamcast sang, and Dex sang it too, as they walked not to the wagon, but to the fireside. They got as close to the flames as was safe, doing a timid dance as the heat dried them off. I got polish on my shoes, got a boat out on the river. Dex sang, moving their fists like pistons in front of their torso. Singing, they could do. Dancing, not so much. But out here, alone in the middle of nowhere, who cared? They turned around. Confidence growing, shaking their bare posterior toward the fire. All I need right now is... Dex would not finish that particular verse. Because in that moment, a seven-foot-tall, metal-plated, boxy-headed robot strode briskly out of the woods. Hello, the robot said. Dex froze, butt out, hair-dripping, heart-skipping. Whatever thoughts they'd been entertaining vanished forever. The robot walked right up to them. My name is Mosscap, it said, sticking out a metal hand. What do you need? And how might I help? That's all for now. Thank you for listening. Make sure to follow Stories from Among the Stars on your preferred podcast app to get the next episode. Or if you just can't wait, you can buy A Psalm for the Wild Built wherever books or audiobooks are sold. Thank you.